Welcome, my name is Erika, I'm a co-founder of 33 Sport Nutrition and today on the show I have with me Charlie Webster. Charlie, it's such a pleasure to have you here at, uh, at the show. Um, so I just wanted to know more about, uh, about you and about uh, your incredible story. So in 2016 you have contracted malaria during a five-week bike ride. If I'm not wrong, you did 3,000 miles from London <laughs> to Rio de Janeiro. So yeah, tell, tell right. us more about it. <laughs> um, gosh, it's such a long story. Sometimes I don't even know where to start. Um, and every time I tell the story, I think I start in a different place. So um, I cycled 3,000 miles, as you've just said, Erica, and it, it lasted, it was about five weeks. We did it in just under five weeks and did it for charity. And we set off from London and then cycled all the way through Europe because everybody's always like, well, how, how do you kind of get there? And then um, we cycled all the way down uh, South America and mainly down Brazil. Uh, and then I arrived in Rio and I was meant to be broadcasting on the Olympic Games and the great thing was, it was like, wow, doing this for charity. I'm cycling from London, from the 2012 Olympic Stadium um, to the next Olympics. And I worked on the 2012 Olympics and then was meant to be working on the 2016 Olympics in Rio. And then arrived in Rio and, oh, apologies, <laughs> arrived in Rio and I just didn't feel very well, but I was fine, like the whole bike ride apart from obviously being tired and the mental journey I think for me was the hardest on something like that and I always think it is you know people look at the physical side of things and people ask you know what was the worst thing was it your legs was it sitting on a bike for that long was it how sore your bits and your bum was and it's like well, well yes but no it's the the mental battle of having to get up every single morning and getting back on a bike again and also the monotony even though we were cycling, cycling through like amazing landscapes, the monotony of, you know, pedal down, pedal up, pedal down, and just hours and hours of road and road was really hard. Um, and also, I don't think, you know, me and the support crew and the group, we weren't massively tight. They weren't like people I really knew. So that was, I think, quite hard to show when you were struggling or show your emotions. Um, but then when I arrived in Rio, I just didn't feel right and I think I'm a very intuitive person and I just I'm not somebody that's ever really ill so I was just like mm, okay what what's going on I don't feel well in myself I don't feel right and I didn't feel like oh my god I've just cycled 3,000 miles oh this is amazing <laughs> I just didn't feel right and didn't have that elation of what I'd just done and just felt absolutely drained emotionally and physically but I put it down to the fact that I cycled 3,000 miles which I think anybody would right absolutely <laughs> um yeah so um I cycled to the top of Christ the Christ Redeemer which was our 3,000th mile so that was the finish line of right to Rio and there was four of us that four of us that completed the whole way no I think there was three of us that did the whole thing and then um another person the fourth person came in halfway through and we got to the top of you know, Christ Redeemer, absolutely stunning. You know, I'd always wanted to go there. Um, you know, I looked up at the massive figure of Christ and was like, thank you, God, for getting me here. And 
and you know for a second I was like wow I've just survived that I've just I've done it I've managed it and it was this weird thing because you know I was looking at the big Christ on the top of the mountain and thinking about my life and my journey and like being grateful and thankful and and then little did I know that 24 hours later I'd be critically ill and 48 hours later I'd be on life support dying and it's so weird sometimes when I think about it like that and I I remember that moment so vividly and I remember that the cloud the clouds covered Rio when you looked down so you couldn't see Rio and then all of a sudden they lifted and you could see the city below and how beautiful it was and and how many people were on top of this mountain and like taking photos and there was these like uh, Japanese um, crew that had come for the Olympics and they were like asking for me to film and stuff and it's probably because I was in cycling kit and I had flags all over me and I had the Union Jack wrapped around me and the Brazilian flag um, and and then kind of it was all elation but somewhere inside I just didn't feel right and then we did all the press um, down at the Olympic Park and then by the time I got to that evening I was packing my bike up because you know for those that don't cycle you kind of have to pack it up and put it in a big bike bag and it took me hours and I kept being sick in between and having to run to the toilet Mm -hmm. and I just it didn't feel well at all and then by that night I knew there was something really wrong but I just kind of ignored it because I was working the next day and I wanted to be okay for for my job and you know for me I hate letting people down so sometimes it's a flaw of mine because I don't recognize when I'm not okay yeah I'm too busy <laughs> making sure that everybody else is okay um and it's a good thing but also can be negative sometimes and then I didn't want to let people down so I struggled through so I did one live take at basically where um Scott Mills was DJing in the Olympic stadium in London and Gethin Jones another host was um, basically handing over to me because there was a big party in London and then we were like oh yeah now let's hand it over to Rio where I am so I was there and I remember doing the the live and they put the camera on me but the second before the camera was on me I was like this with my head in my hands and then as soon as like it was like Charlie you're live I was like oh welcome to Rio la 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 like trying to do my job and I was like yeah we're on Copacabana Beach we've got this we've got this this is the atmosphere and chatting away and then as soon as um and I was like on the big screen in in London and obviously we were airing um you know um everywhere to the UK and then as soon as I wish people could have seen like a fly in the wall because as soon as the camera moved off my face and you know it went off me I I literally just was like oh like this and had to wow. bend down and could hardly stand up and had my head in my hands and I had to run to the bathroom and and um, the bathrooms you had to pay so the producer had got real which is obviously the Brazilian currency in his hand and in her hand so she could basically keep giving me the money so I could keep going to the toilet because I had such bad diarrhea and I kept being sick and it was just like trying to battle through and I think people only know the story of when I got hospitalized rather than the bit before in a way um and then to cut a long story short because it the same much I could tell you um I ended up going to the Olympic Stadium for the opening ceremony that evening and the producer did say to me look if you want to sit out and get well again 
for tomorrow and you know have some rest you don't have to come we can you know do it without you and I was like insistent that I go to the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games I was insistent that I work I was like no I'm fine you know I must have just got a bug I'll be fine don't worry don't worry don't worry and then by the time I got to the Olympic Stadium I literally couldn't move and I tried so hard to get through but I was in so much pain and it was getting worse and worse and I just kind of like panicking internally but didn't really want to tell anybody how bad I felt and then went to the um bathroom um because like this is a bit awful but people I don't think will mind it's honest like I could feel like stuff down there and so I went to the bathroom and it took me ages to get to the bathroom and I literally was crawling there and then got to the toilet was sick everywhere and it turned I was basically bleeding um, down below out of my bum and like quite bad and then I started to bleed out of my mouth and so it was bleeding my nose and I was like okay there's something wrong um so then um left the stadium took myself back to where I was staying and I still didn't even go and see a doctor I just went and put myself to sleep to try and see if I could ride it out and ended up being up all night being sick and it was getting worse and the bleeding was getting worse and little did I know that I was actually hemorrhaging um, and then took myself off to hospital and it was only about three streets from where I was staying and it took me about 40 minutes to walk there um, to walk three streets because wow. that's how little I could walk yeah and then went into the hospital and, and they didn't speak English um, I speak Spanish but not Portuguese so I was trying to speak Spanish to them and then they made me sign something and they immediately took $500 off my credit card before they would even see me. Wow. And which I think shows how lucky we are um, yeah. in the UK. I think we moan a lot about the NHS, but the fact that anybody can walk in a hospital here and get help is not everywhere. Um, and then I basically had to give them all my credit cards and then a doctor saw me. Wow. Wow. What an adventure. <laughs> It's kind of I'll interesting. Let you ask me a question now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting when you were speaking also about uh, trying to refuse uh, to listen to your body in a way, you know, because you were just giving priority to your career and to what you were doing. So focus on that. So there yeah. was a kind of uh, listening the story, a kind of disconnection between your body and your mind. Do you think 100%. so? 100%. Do you think so now is has changed drastically the thing because of course you're not anymore that <laughs> uh, you create a, probably that connection? Yeah, I think it's really good that you said that because I think that's I've been on this journey since what happened. Obviously, I survived and um, you know physically I went through absolute hell. I had multiple organ failure. I had respiratory failure. My heart stopped. Um, when I came out of hospital, I had to learn how to walk again. I had so much damage. I couldn't use my left arm because I had so much nerve damage. And look at it now. Um, you know, my kidneys wouldn't work. I had all these things, but it was the mental battle. that And the, the you know, I've sat so many times and tried to to figure out, I suppose, what, what happened and who I am. Um, because it did make me question that. Because you're right, I... I really had an inability to, which is interesting because I've done exercise since I was a child, a young child. I've done sport to a high level, um, you know, all the way through my childhood. You know, I did martial arts, I boxed, um, I ran for my county, 
Um, I ran for the north of England as a teenager. I represented England indoors as a teenager. Like, you know, so you'd think that I'd have a really good connection with my body. But it was so good in a way. And I was so good at competition and pushing myself and striving for a goal. Actually, I managed, I cut off what I was actually feeling because all I was obsessed with was achieving that goal. And I, in a way, believed that I could push my body to anything and I could do anything, which is a really positive thing because I think that's how I've achieved a lot of stuff. But at the same time, it means that there's definitely been times where I, where I've, I haven't taken care of my soul and myself. Mm-hmm. And then with, with what happened with Rio was definitely that because you know, my, my alarm system, system didn't go, you need to go to hospital and look after yourself. My alarm system went, you can't let people down. You need to do your job. You need to fulfill this. You worked hard on these contracts. Um, you know, there's, you've got three different contracts. You can't let people down. Um, what are people going to think? And that's what my alarm system did. So it was, it was more external than it was internal. And since, um, I call it Rio, like since Rio happened to me, and um, that's what we, me and my family and friends always refer to it as rather than yeah. when I, I nearly died or whatever. So um, excuse the <laughs> reference, because um, it's not that poor city's fault what happened yeah. to me. Um, but since then, that's been part of my journey because I realised I fa- I, I'm not connected with how I feel a lot of the time. And I got PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder after and went and worked as a clinical psychologist and since I've been studying um how trauma affects behavior and also trauma in childhood because like a lot of it links back to some things that happened when I was younger which meant that I was an amazing survivor because I was so resilient but in that I was very um disattached from how I felt actually inside if that makes sense so I've been on this journey to try and yeah, to try and learn self-care, basically. And that's what it's taught me because I think, and the more I speak to people about it and the more I speak on it, because I do some talks on it, the more I realise that we're majority of us are actually really terrible at self-care. Mm. Um, and, and we also self-sabotage a lot. And I think I would push and push and push and then I'd be ill and then I just would make the same mistakes over and over again and just push and push and push. You know, even things like, I don't know, like four years ago, was it three, three or four years ago, I did a half Ironman. Um, four weeks later, I did a full Ironman. Not, <laughs> not one part of me thought, I was like, oh, I'll be fine. And I remember falling over in training after the half Ironman because I went training two days after doing the half Ironman. Um, you know, which some people might think, oh, well, that's fine. But I went training two days after and I fell over because I was so tired. Because I didn't just do half Ironman. I'd been pushing training. I'd been working ridiculous hours, you know, not getting enough sleep. And I fell over, like, literally three miles into a run. And again, I was just, like, annoyed about it rather than listening to why I fell over, if that makes sense. So these are all the things I'm trying to trying to learn at the moment. I mean, I, funnily enough, I just had a learning curve the last five days, which I think when we spoke the other day, yeah. I had my leg up and I was laid up because my leg was so swollen. So I went to have a tattoo. This is relevant um, on Thursday. And um, I wanted a tattoo to mark what happened to me. And um, for anybody that hasn't seen it, it's on uh, my Instagram page. Um, just Charlie Webster. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. I've spent two years designing it. 
Um, it's a gorgeous angel. Um, and she's like tipped with her head up because she's strong and empowered. She's not fallen and she's like a protector and a savior. And it meant so much to me because I feel like I was saved. I feel like I survived for a reason. All the doctors said I shouldn't have survived. And, you know, we hear these stories and um, sometimes these like miracle stories. And I really do believe in miracles because, um, you know, I've, the report of what happened to me and what the state my body was in physically, I shouldn't be here. Um, so I do believe there's so much more that we don't understand, whether it's through God or whether it's through our spirit, our mind, our soul, our determination, our resilience as human beings. So I wanted to have this big angel on my leg to basically remind me every day, you know, when I'm sometimes battling with things, what I've already survived and to remind me what I've already come through and to keep on going. So it's like really emotional for me. And so I went to have the tattoo done and instead of doing two hours, it's a seven hour tattoo. So it took seven hours. Instead of being like, oh, maybe I should do this in two sittings. I actually did it in one sitting. I lied there for seven hours. I've got a high pain threshold. And so I just put up with the pain. And then I drove for three hours. And then the next morning, I basically went to meetings and went and, and recorded, went and did live radio. Then I got in the car and drove five hours to Leeds to support my brother. And I just didn't even think for a second that I might need to rest it. And just basically my legs swelled up. And then I was like, oh, damn, like, what am I going to learn? <laughs> but I am getting much better at, at trying to do self-care because, like, I think sometimes when, and I think a lot of people, I don't know whether yourself, Erica, will relate to this, but I think sometimes when we do self-care, I beat myself up about it. I feel guilty about it. I feel like I should be doing something. I feel like I should be achieving. If I'm resting, um, I'm not very good at not doing anything um you know I'm like oh I need to do something I need to achieve I need to do this and then because I survived and because I nearly died I feel even more pressure sometimes because I feel like I've got to make the most of everything I do and make the most of my life and give as much as I possibly can to everyone and try and help people through learning through my own story so sometimes I think I have this like battle in my head where I've got this like pressure to 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 push and to push and to to make a difference and to achieve but then this little voice in my head that's saying come on you've got to learn from these things as well and you've got to care for yourself because ultimately if you don't care for yourself how can you care for everyone else absolutely and this is uh, you're absolutely right but what is interesting that you decided to have a, a beautiful tattoo by the way i've seen it on <laughs> your social media on, on instagram it looks amazing and I, it's interesting because I seen it and I was actually wanted to ask it to you uh, the representation and everything. But it's interesting because you um, design something to put on your leg, a, a beautiful image that it reminds you uh, a connection with, between your mind and your body in a way. So you yeah. created already there a big link. And um, so it's, uh, it's kind of interesting to see how, um, how you create actually the connection. Just look your leg and you might have to remember yourself, remind yourself <laughs> to listen also to your body, not just to your mind. Because uh, the yeah, struggle it, of the mind is so always, no, there is this kind of a battle doing things yeah. and never listen to your body. I think one of the biggest things also for athletes in general is to um, rest the day. 
it's yeah. so nearly impossible to accept it. Yeah. Interestingly, um, a friend of mine, Chrissy Wellington, the incredible um, multi Ironman champion, I think she's four or five four uh, times. world champion, so four times. Yeah, yeah she's she, uh, part of a 33 shake. Uh, yeah, she is. Yeah. But she told me, she gave me one of the best pieces of advice I think I've ever had. Um, I don't always listen to it, but I do have her voice sometimes in my head. Um, because one of her the things she learned, the most valuable thing she learned, she told me through her career, was how important rest day is. Yeah. And I remember when I was training for the Ironman three years ago, that's what she said to me. And it's such a struggle, I think, as you said, for all athletes, for all people that, you know, want to strive um, for something and for a goal. It's like, where's the fine line between pushing and pushing and pushing? And, you know, it's like, you know, we should get up at five and train and then we should go to work and that's the only way we can achieve and da da da. And it's like, I always find that that um, school of thought slightly conflicting with the school of thought of how we're supposed to self-care and actually how important rest days is. And I think if we look at like, um, I don't know, self-help or advice and these things that we see on Instagram and like how people have achieved, it's all about, you know, you've got to give everything and 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 you do have to get up at five in the morning and, and, and you've got to train this and you've got to train that and you've got to put the time in. And that was always my ethic. And then, but I've, you know, I've started to change that in a way because I'm starting to recognize that actually is that, is that how we achieve things? And is that actually what makes us feel happy? Because then isn't then we'll we'll achieve that and then we'll constantly strive for the next thing where we push ourselves and push ourselves to the limit but at the same time like I like doing that because I feel like I discover a lot about myself so it's about I think finding that balance and yeah as Chrissy told me that one of the most important things she learned was how active a rest day is if that makes sense and how it is actually doing something and that's something I'm desperately trying to incorporate in my life because it's my biggest biggest downfall um that I just that I find it very difficult to do that um, but at the same time it's also my positive because it means sometimes that I can fit a lot into my life so it's a, yeah it's such a, a fine line but one thing that that's one thing that I've really yeah I've really been like working through and that's one of the reasons I think I had the tattoo on my leg because I think some people some people when they go through trauma and they go through stuff I think our tendency as human beings is to, well, we've been through that, let's suck it up and let's just push on and, and kind of ignore what it's done to us. And to me, I don't think you can go through anything like that and, and, and not be changed and not have to look at it and not have to analyse how you feel and not have to be in touch with how you feel. Because I think the thing I've learned and with working through a clinical psychologist, the way that that mental health problems manifest and PTSD is when we don't actually look at how we feel and what's happened to us. And I think that's one thing that I've continually learning and I, you know, I'm not there yet is, okay, how do I feel about that? How is that making me feel and why? And what, what do I need? Like what are my emotional needs right now? And because ultimately that's, that's what's going to make me happy and be able to achieve everything that I want to achieve rather than the kind of negative way of doing it where I'm having a go at myself all the time and um, to do better and push myself and strive and 
um, which is what I think I can get in a circle with. And I think a lot of athletes do as well. So instead of like looking at how amazing they've done that they cross the line, they look at what they didn't achieve. So for example, they didn't get first or they didn't get a personal best or they didn't feel this way or, you know, and I think we look at the negative rather than, oh my gosh, I did, I just did that. That's awesome. Yeah, um, so I think that's something, yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I did that when I was a young kid. Like I've been doing it since I was a kid. I remember like when, when I, if I used to win a race, like I wouldn't be happy with it because I could have done better or I could have got a personal best or, and I, cause I didn't get a personal best, but I won the race and it was like, where does it end really? Um, but yeah, the, the tattoo is for me to face it and for me, to remind me of what I've gone through. And so I don't lose sight of it rather than ignoring it. Whereas I think some people think that it should be the other way around where it's like, you know, well, the past is the past. And honestly, well, the, the most important thing I think I've learned in my journey so far is how important the past is and how the past needs to be part of your present and your future so that you can learn from it and understand what that past made you feel rather than ignoring it because ignoring it doesn't it might mean that it's not in your head at that moment but the emotion attached to it never goes away yeah you're absolutely right another i would imagine another big thing that did change from uh, uh, from your life from when did happen rio it was probably yeah listen to your body and also the nutrition I don't know if something has changed because now you have to take care more about your body. You know better your body and you know how important it is health. You probably, I would imagine that you change something, your attitude toward that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I had to follow a kidney. Um, I was on a really strict kidney diet when I first came out of hospital because the consultant really wanted my my kidneys to work basically I know that sounds really obvious but he wanted to try and push my body to work again rather than maybe on dialysis and then going for a transplant and he was amazing because he really like my, like he basically said the reason why my kidneys started to work again was because I was so physically fit mm. and so healthy and I think that's a testament to anybody out there that I think again we especially when you do um more extreme Uh, like races maybe I think we have a tendency to either do it for goal setting or then on the other hand um, a lot of people do exercise for um, the way they look um, and I think we forget that hang on we need to exercise anyway to be healthy <laughs> because the doctor said that you know if I'd have been unhealthy or I would have been slightly overweight then I would not have survived what I went through and that's one of the reasons why my kidneys started to work And he really pushed that because he, I don't know, he, I suppose, believed in my determination and also my body to regenerate and to recover. But with that, I definitely followed a really strict kidney diet, which is quite strange because it's quite contrary to some of the things that we do. For example, like I can't eat avocado and bananas because they're so high in potassium, which I would love before and eat all the time. So I had to relearn. Um, I don't drink alcohol anymore. Um, I haven't drank since that happened to me so like two and a half years now um and to be honest I find it really empowering um mm. and in a way I'm I'm like oh actually that's quite nice like um I, I don't I don't have that social pressure because people know I can't drink for health reasons and I think it made me realize how much alcohol plays such a negative role in 
a lot of our lives. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to drink and stuff, but um, I think, yeah, for me, I think it empowered rather than a negative thing. And um, But then I think the main thing that I've really changed is to look after myself nutritionally. So I think that I didn't probably fuel very well before. <laughs> As in sometimes I would expect my body to go and do something when I haven't, when I've not eaten. <laughs> um, and I think, again, that wasn't because I was had a bad relationship with food and I was trying to limit my calorie intake anybody that knows me knows that I love food and um you know I feel like I have a good healthy relationship with food um not necessarily when I was younger but I do now but it was more that but in a way maybe I could question that because it was more going back to self-care because I'd skip lunch to if I had back-to-back meetings so I wouldn't go "Mm, I need to grab 10 minutes here to at least grab something I'd just be like oh just power on just power on and then expect my body to train at the end of it. And then I wouldn't recover very well because then I probably wouldn't bother taking a recovery, anything, because I'd train and then I'd go to another event and I'd just like try and find something there. Um, and I think because I used to be on the road a lot, um, I still a bit now, but not as much. And again, I'd just grab stuff and I wouldn't really prepare very well. Um, to make sure that I feel my body so that's something I've learned because I really really changed that like I never ever skip meals you know very very rarely now um you know even if I have to be on the go even if I, I know that I can't eat for a while I'll make sure I grab a snack I won't just be like oh I'll just power through um, and I make sure that after training I really refuel myself because the amount of times that I I didn't do that you know, I don't, it's just crazy to think why, because I didn't prioritize it. So now I'm like, yes, fuel is ridiculously important. And also I have a really low blood sugar. And to be fair, I did before Rio happened, but now it's just worse. Um, and again, I never really looked after that. I just have crashes. And I'm also a, I'm not really a hangry person, but I'm definitely a person that gets really affected by food because of my low blood sugar. So if I don't eat food, I'm not hangry, angry, but I definitely can't concentrate. I can't hold a conversation. Um, I'm like a little bit irritable. Um, so, and and again, I wouldn't listen to my to my body in that sense. And so now I'm much more. I'm much better about consistent fueling. I'm much better about fueling on race day. I mean, like my friends used to joke about me. I've got a friend who does uh, a lot of Ironmans, and he'd be like, when he came and watched me did the seventy point three, the half Ironman, he was like. You only drank one bottle. There was one bottle. Like, ah, oh, you're such an idiot. Like, why didn't you drink? And I was like, I don't know. I was just too constant, too busy concentrating on racing, you know. And <laughs> so, and again, that that was just my mentality. So that's definitely changed. Now you're uh, connecting more with your body and uh, yeah. listening to it. But I have to say, listen to the body, and especially the nutrition is so difficult. You realize the difference when you start to fuel yourself um, in the right way, in a natural way, you realize how your body responds in a completely different way. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I don't have, like, when I fuel properly, I don't crash, which is really interesting because I used to crash and, like, for those that do cycling, like, bonk quite a bit and I'd be like, oh, and because I just didn't sustain the fuel. And I also burn... A lot, and I think we forget as um, people that train how much how much we burn and how many calories we need, and um, I think that's sometimes contrary to what 
the mainstream media put out there about restricting calorie intake. But actually, when you're an active person, it's absolute nonsense. Like if we're in, if we think about, I know it sounds so basic, because but you know it's what fuels your body, and we all know that. But I think we forget that we're ultimately just an engine that's burning, um, and also the mental we burn mentally as well and I feel like I know for a fact that I can't concentrate and I'm not as proactive or as efficient or yeah reach my potential when I'm not feeling properly yeah so you notice quite a lot of the difference when uh, you are feeling right big part uh, that we were also saying is um, refueling afterwards so which is your ideal nutrition uh pre-race, during race, and post as a recovery. <laughs> because, of course, um, you are restricted also with your diet because of your body, because of Rio. Yeah, so I can't take whey protein um, or any man-made protein um, because my kidneys can't process it. Um, and I have to be careful with too much sugars, um, which a lot of gels um and nutrition during races have um because they just make me spike and then my body just can't handle it also my body doesn't flush very well anymore um it's still you know it's only two and a bit year two years since I came out of hospital and two and a half years since it happened to me so my body's still in a recovery process um you know they say it takes you know three or four years really for your you know, my body's basically still building. Um, so I have to be careful with that. And I think also like I'm so now I won't, I won't do anything that, um, you know, I don't know. I won't put anything bad in my body. I mean, obviously I eat cake and stuff like that within reason, but I am quite protective over myself now because like I, I know what my kidneys look like and they're full of scar tissue and there's like dead parts and, and I know, and I know what, but obviously I know how horrific it was and I never want to put myself in a situation where I'm ever back in a hospital again if I can avoid it. Um, so I want to look after myself the best way possible. Um, so that's why, like, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm promoting 33 Shake, but, um, like, I use, started using your products because they're natural and um, the, the post um, shake is great for me, the post-exercise shake, because it's completely natural and doesn't have any whey protein in it so it just has natural proteins and a lot of vitamins and minerals and I think that's another thing that I definitely was guilty of I probably didn't get enough vitamins and minerals um when I was racing or, or doing exercise in general and um and then sometimes also I do it natu I do it naturally without a product I know your product's natural but um I remember when I ran um I ran 250 miles to 40 different football clubs um for charity um that was about five years ago and I just couldn't nothing agreed with me and this was before you guys were around and so I ended up doing it all naturally I had milk straight after and boiled eggs um completely natural proteins and um you know calcium and vitamins and minerals and um yeah and it, and it just worked so well and when I was running, I would have water with a little bit of salt in it. So, so I did it completely natural then because my stomach was so upset. I just couldn't take it. So I'm one of these people that, and I'm sure a lot of athletes are out there, like that just can't handle 
a lot of the man-made products and a lot of the high sugar products like I always get <laughs> I seem to talk about diarrhea a lot um I always get diarrhea from them when I'm racing when I did my Ironman you know I think I went to the toilet during the marathon part of it probably about 10 times because I I had diarrhea, I was sick, all the orange stuff out of my mouth. Um, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that as well. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I think that I, I prefer anything natural because I, especially with what happened to me, it's made me even more conscious about what we put in our bodies. And it's actually, I think, you know, for example, like I, I have butter in the fridge rather than margarine because it's the margarine. That's probably one of the worst foods we can eat in the world that's got so much crap in it but we use that because we think that butter's unhealthy and then um, so I'm I'm definitely go back to old school and try and avoid anything that's man-made including sports nutrition uh, I think you're doing the right thing you know uh, natural uh, we uh, our body it recognizes straight away what is good for for you and what is not so if you are vomiting orange foam, <laughs> that you are not the only one having problem to go to the toilet, vomiting, or, or having cramps on, you know, stomach ache or things like that. It's uh, unfortunately <laughs> such a common thing that yeah. we, we see from so many. So I know that you are going to run the London Marathon. Yeah. So, and you are supporting the cause of End of Malaria. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about the voice petition. Um, so, I'm running for Malaria No More next weekend. Um, sorry. Um, uh, for me, running the marathon next weekend, the London Marathon, isn't about running a time or anything. Like, I haven't, I'm not in a position where I can do that. And nor do I want to because I've run a lot of marathons and for me running the marathon next weekend is just all about part of my recovery and to show people hopefully inspire people and show people that um you can get over horrific adversities and you know physical and mental illness and you know do things like win a marathon um so so I don't care how fast I do it in um and it's about running for malaria no more and raising awareness and I suppose like I've spent quite a bit of time in Uganda last year um, and met a lot of people who sadly have to live in malaria areas. Um, I have malaria along with three other um, life-threatening diseases. <laughs> it was a little bit more complicated than just malaria. Um, but I don't have to live in a country that has malaria anymore. Um, so for me, I'm running for every parent, I suppose, that's lost a child to malaria unnecessarily because it is completely unnecessary and I think that's the thing about malaria it's entirely treatable and preventable um, there just needs to be a sustained effort for us to end it and we can be the generation that ends it so it's the oldest disease in the world it's killed half of the world half of mankind 50% of the world are at risk um, it's the biggest killer of children under five a child dies every two minutes yet we kind of ignore it in the western world because it doesn't directly affect us but it actually does and I think this is where if people could understand a little bit more that it, it actually it, it does because I mean you know I don't live in Africa and I don't live in a malaria country but I nearly died from malaria and um, I know 
a lady who lost her son who traveled to Africa and he was only in his early 20s um, and he died of malaria. But also it affects the whole economy and the community. And morally, I believe that as humans, that if we can do something about the fact that there's so many children dying, then we should absolutely. But also from an economical point of view, we can help um, lift like places like Africa out of repression due to helping them be healthy and not having to die from malaria. Because we talk about we want equality in the world. We want, um, you know, education. But if we don't have health, if those children can't get to five years old because they're dying of malaria, which is entirely preventable and treatable, and actually it only costs like one dollar. It's so cheap as well. It's not like something that's ridiculously expensive. Then how can we get equality because those girls are dying and aren't going to school um, to get educated, to create equality? And girls and boys aren't lifting themselves out of poverty because they don't get to go to school to get educated because they're dying of malaria in the first place. Um, Or they're having problems with malaria. I met a young girl who survived malaria, but then because of malaria had cerebral palsy because malaria affects the brain. Um, You know, I had brain hemorrhaging from when I had it as well. Um, But luckily, you know, I was I was okay. But the doctors did think that I was going to be um, I was going to be disabled um and and I, I think it's so much bigger than than we see so using your voice you asked about the power of a voice I mean um I'm not Bill Gates so I don't have the money <laughs> to throw at malaria so I'm like what do I have well I have an experience I nearly died from malaria um I have an education and an understanding and I also have an audience so if I can help uh, raise awareness and educate people on malaria because it's also not always about putting loads of money in to find vaccines or to find new science it's actually making sure that what we have gets to the people that need it but when it does get to the people that need it that they understand what they're supposed to do with it so the thing I talk about isn't about malaria tablets or necessarily bed nets it's about educating um the people that do live in malaria areas that are most at risk, which is the villages I've spent time in Uganda in, um, educating them and helping them understand what malaria is, because you wouldn't believe that, and it's something that I didn't really realise, that when I was there, there's a real lack of understanding, even though these people live with malaria, what malaria is. They accept it as something that they're either going to survive or not going to survive. But it's so sad that they accept it as part of their life, that they might die from it rather than understanding that they can actually change it by understanding the symptoms and tr- and seeking treatment because a lot of them don't because they think that they believe in um, like witch doctory and that maybe they were possessed. So they don't go and seek the treatment that is there. So I think helping them understand that malaria isn't something that's, um, you know, still respecting their cultural cultural values, but it isn't something that is given to them by a spirit. It's not a demon. It's actually a disease that can be prevented. So it's about educating and educating them how to use a bed net as well. Because, you know, in the Western world, we call it a bed net. Well, half of these people don't have beds. So how can they understand how they're supposed to use a bed net? So it's the simple things that, to me, it's all about the last mile and educating the last mile and empowering them. Because I think, again, we have this perception and it frustrates me how... um, you know, in the Western world, we're better than um, people that live in third world countries. And actually, when I, I learned so much time, so much from them, 
Um, they're all about community. They don't have loneliness. Um, you know, they look after their elderly. They, their whole, they, you know, it takes a child to raise a village. A, a village does raise their children, um, you know, and they're, they're survivors. They're most incredible survivors. We can learn so much from them and they're empowered people. So if we can just help educate them, then they can help themselves. So I think that's what I try and use my voice for. It's amazing. You're doing an amazing job because uh, realistically so many, you're touching so many uh, people and uh, your story is definitely um, incredible. But not just only powerful, but what you are doing really spread the voice education is what uh, uh, for so many people it will be actually uh, saving a lot, of, uh, a lot of life. I'm pretty sure about this because, you know, education spread uh, fast especially yeah. with people like you yeah and I think to me there when people say oh why you know it's that whole thing where we were talking about a minute ago about how um you know you go through these things should you just try and and I went through that I just want to leave it in the past and just get on with my life but to me I just couldn't do that I don't think I could live with myself if I you know got to an old age and and realized that I never used my voice or used the experience I had to help other people. And to me, I think, you know, selfishly in a way it helps me too, because it helps me think I went through that for a reason. And if I, and if it can help another family or it can help save just one life, then, well, maybe I was meant to go through it for a reason, which is quite hard to take because, you know, it was really horrible and it put my family through a lot of distress and it was, you know, like, like torture. Um, because I also remember being in the coma and I was told I was going to die before I went in. So I was like, um, yeah. And I was desperately fighting, but for me, if I can use that experience to change something else, then I feel like it's my duty to, in fact, it's my obligation to. That's amazing, really amazing what you are doing because uh, realistically you are seeing this uh, bad adventure, let's call it like that, or I don't know how to call it, but this experience, life experience uh, as an opportunity to spread uh, the voice and uh, to give uh, this awareness and knowledge. So thanks so much for doing this. This is <laughs> really, uh, it's very admirable. Not so many people there will be ready to do it because uh, you need also a lot of strengths to bring it out. Uh, uh, it brings us for sure a lot of emotion and uh, so it's not easy things to do. So thanks so much for this because it's something that you're doing for uh, this generation, next generation and future generation. <laughs> it's, it's something that, you know, it's, it's amazing. So thanks so much. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, I, thanks so much for for sharing with us your your incredible story and uh, spread the the message. Um, and I hope you are going to have uh, fun at the London Marathon. <laughs> Thank you. It's it's amazing. Uh, it's uh, it's incredible thinking about it. Uh, as you said, uh, just uh, only two years and a half ago, uh, you were in difficulties uh, at the the hospital and things, and now you are able to run a, a marathon. And you call it a recovery time or something like that. 
<laughs> I think I think what I mean by the yeah, I probably should uh, qualify that is that um, for me it's almost like this new life and this new body because I didn't recognize my body when I came out of hospital and I still don't it doesn't feel like the body or I don't feel like the same person that I was and but I'm not saying you know I I think I'm gonna end up being better and and, and bigger than than I was and and uh, yeah and I feel like because I've really had to look at myself and and improve myself and I think what I mean by recovery time is I don't know where my boundaries are. I don't know where my limits are. So I'm still on a journey to try and discover where they are because beforehand I, I knew almost, you know, I knew what I could do. Um, but now it's like, oh, like, let's, let's see, see what I'm like doing a marathon. Let's see if I can do this and let's see if I can do this. And, and because I, yeah, it's almost like this new journey of, of, you know, where, where are my boundaries now? So, uh, yeah, it was such a pleasure to have you um, at the show. And I'm so excited uh, still now after <laughs> this longer conversation. So thanks so much for, for your time to share all your experience. And good luck with the London Marathon uh, just uh, Thank you. in a few days. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, thanks so much. I probably shouldn't have had a tattoo done just before the marathon. Well, now you can show off, <laughs> you know. Sore. Yeah, at least I can show it off. Exactly. Show it Even off. though it's still really sore. <laughs> um, but thank you very much for having me. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode as I did while I was recording it. Sharing tools and making an all-natural sport nutrition is our mission. You can find us at 33shake.com. Thanks for joining in.